guys, I'm, I'm continuing a series called The Beautiful Bride, and, uh, and it's about the church. You know, one of the metaphors of, of uh, the church is that she's the bride of Christ. She's the bride of Christ. So I, I don't know about all the men in the house, you know, if you've had a bride, you know, remember how you felt about your bride? Um, she's really precious to you like my bride is, and uh, <laughs> 16 years ago, bride, <clears throat> but getting younger every day, amen, and more beautiful, can I have an amen, amen, thank you, help me out, <clears throat> so last week I started sharing about what makes the church beautiful, and I want to continue uh, sharing about that. What makes the bride of Christ beautiful? You see, there are a lot of opinions about church, and a lot of those opinions are negative. So I shared about last week about this vision someone had about the bride being a bride walking down, a, down an aisle, and the people from both sides starting to throw knives at her in this vision. Some of the ladies in church saw this vision, and everybody was throwing knives at the bride, and, and in the end, she just sort of fell in the front of the at the altar and, and just hemorrhaging blood, and it was just, it was a mess. And uh, it's quite a horrific picture. But I believe that's, in a sense, what's been happening to, to the church. So many opinions, so many people have different opinions about what the church is and who she is, and, and mostly negative. So many people attacking the bride of Christ. So uh, I, I want to ask all the men in the house, you know, all the married men, if you had a, a friend and you were, you were having a a beer at, at home, and every time your wife walks into the room, this friend of yours goes off against her. Like, she is so, like, all these negatives. How would you feel? A friend that badmouths your bride. How would you feel about that friend? I would say he's no longer my friend. Friendship over. You know, and I, I'm just thinking, you know, so, so many of us, have, we have so many opinions about church, and, but she is Jesus' bride. He loves her. He gave his life for her. Is she perfect? No. Is she a lot of issues? Yes. A lot of issues. A lot of issues. But he loves her with all his heart. And, and we should too. We should love church, whatever form or format church comes. You know, this is really my heart. I want to, I want to, I, I, I trust that we would be a church that can celebrate almost any other church, whatever they look like. I'm not saying celebrate bad doctrine, but celebrate whatever form they might come, whatever form this other Christian. You know, we have all our little boxes about this is what a Christian should look like, and any other box we don't like so often, and we tend to be judgmental and accusing and critical, and you know, because we're the only ones that are really right. We don't say it, eh? but some of want to think that. Yeah, yeah, we got it down. And uh, I think a beautiful bride is a humble church, a humble bride, where we can love others with their stuff, because we know we have been loved with all our stuff. So I believe a beautiful bride is a bride that loves well. So I want to share about this this morning. A bride that loves well. 
a bride that loves well. I believe a beautiful church is a church that is known for her love and not for what she's against. But so often we as Christians, we are known for being anti-something, anti-this and anti-that and anti-this and anti-those people, and we rip those to shreds and those to shreds. And, and, I, and, and, and when I look at the Scriptures, we should be known for our love. But often we're not known for our love. Why is that? So I want to I ask that question. Why is it that so often we are not known for our love, but more known for the things we are against? So there's a, an American preacher, very well-known guy, massive church, I think 15,000 plus people, one of the fastest growing churches in America. And then things went wrong. He was, it came out that he's, this guy is quite a bully and he's just treated so many people so badly. So everybody revolted against him and he in the end lost his position, and then the whole church basically shut down. 15,000 plus people. Cheers. And, uh, and I see now that he's started a new church. And so I was listening to some of his messages, or one, one part of his message. And, and it was just amazing again. He's just on what's wrong, and uh, you know, all the other things that's wrong with the world, and the next deception that's coming. And I'm like, you know, but you're still not known for your love. You're not known for your love. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he's added to his church now that, you know, they are about the Bible and relationships. So that's now added after the previous 15,000 crash. So he's learned now. It should be about relationships too. Well done. You're moving forward. Praise God. So at least the guy, I'm glad he's getting another opportunity. That's awesome. But, it, but it's just amazing that a man who is so passionate about doctrine, so passionate about the Bible and teaching the Bible, can so wholeheartedly miss everything that the Bible says. Do you think that's just weird? How can people be so passionate about the Bible that we miss the heart of the one that the Bible is about? A God of love. You know, so, so I want to just touch on why I think sometimes we tend to miss the heart of God, or where we tend to miss not being loving. So I don't know about you, but when I, when I became a Christian years ago, I uh, joined the church Shofar Stellenbosch, and man, I loved the church. I loved the people. They were all perfect. They were all perfect. I couldn't see fault with anybody for about a week. I was just in love with Jesus, and I was just so excited about the kingdom, and church was amazing, you know, until the first sort of leader or someone that needed to correct me. Can you imagine it? I wasn't perfect. My character wasn't flawless. I came into church. I gave my life to Jesus, and there were still things I needed to work on. I was shocked. <laughs> you laugh. Sometimes you guys are shocked, like, oh, I need to work on something. <laughs> okay, let me just tell it to you. You've got some stuff to work on. Let's say it, I've got stuff to work on. Yes. Amen, that's just liberating. And it's not a problem. It's not an issue. It's not like God comes to us and he looks at all the wrong things, like, oh, you've got all these issues. He's like, no, I'm going to give you an upgrade in that area. I'm going to bless you in that area. I'm going to give you an upgrade in that area. I've got great news going to set you free. So it's good news. But I think what sometimes happens, you know, we, 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 
we were so excited. We were, everybody was so perfect and wonderful until we got corrected or until something, someone didn't greet us. I walked through those front doors and the pastor just walked by. He didn't greet me. Have you ever experienced that? Get over it. I probably didn't see you. I was distracted. I was just running somewhere. I don't know. But those moments, you know, it just sort of triggers something. And then we get inwardly focused. You know, we, we, we were so excited. We were so wanting to bless and love Jesus and worship and love others. And then suddenly things feel a little bit differently. And suddenly we're more self-focused and something's changed. Something has changed, and that can lead to something else as well. I believe when we get wounded, when we get hurt on any level, it makes us more inwardly focused, more selfish, and also can lead to fear. You see, the the enemy scheme is the devil doesn't want a beautiful bride. So what does he do? He tries to wound us in our hearts because a wounded bride is not a beautiful bride. You see, wounded people wound people. I see this so often. The enemy tries to get, especially to church leaders, to get them hurt, to get them offended, to get them broken so that they can hurt the whole church. Any leader, any leader's position wants to hurt the dad in the house so that the rest of the family can get messed up. Or the mom. Or the child. The enemy's plan is to wound us. And we need to know that and we need to evaluate our hearts. Because when he gets us wounded, we tend to become more selfish. And when we get wounded, we tend to become more fearful. We want to protect ourselves. So we build a wall around our hearts. I don't want to get hurt again. So we build this wall. I'm going to protect myself. You know what that feels like to other people? Unloving. Unloving. Because I need to protect myself. I need to protect myself, and, and you know, after all the things that's happened, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to look my, my deal first. I'm going to put my stuff first. It's about my stuff, about my deal. That comes first. Your stuff is later. How does that feel? Also, unloving. You see, that's the trick of the enemy. He tries to get us wounded in our hearts so that we would become and not so very beautiful bride, a not so loving bride, a people that don't feel so loving, don't feel so gracious. And, and, and I, so I believe God wants to heal us in our hearts this morning. It's so beautiful what Stephen sang about God just wants to embrace us. He wants to. He wants to heal your heart so that you can look like Him. But we don't look like Jesus yet. We're going to look perfectly like him one day when we go to heaven. But until that time, we've got some stuff to work on. But it's some good stuff. Because there's areas of upgrade, areas of restoration, areas of healing. So last week, I shared about what, is made, what makes the bride beautiful. The bride is made beautiful when Jesus is beautiful to her. You know, when, when, when you and I are in love with Jesus... We become beautiful. He sort of rubs off on us. You know, that's why I try and spend a lot of time with my wife, because she rubs off on me. I become a better person. Say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
But when you spend time with someone, they sort of rub off on you. And I shared last week that Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What rock? The revelation of who God is and the revelation of who we are in him. That's the rock, Matthew 16. But then he says as well, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Those keys. Those are like keys of authority, things that you can unlock and release the goodness of God and also bind the works of the enemy. How do we get a key? You get a key when you get a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. When you get a fresh revelation of how much love is found in Him. When you, when you realize God is love and you realize what that love looks like, it gives you a key gives you a key to see people set free. gives you a key to release the love of God, to, to work against that selfishness, to work against that fear. You know the scripture that says that perfect love casts out fear, but the opposite is also true. Fear casts out love. Fear casts out love. So when we allow fear into our lives, Love is cast out. And there are some of us that try to protect ourselves, and, in the, in the, and the result is we build these walls, and the result is we feel unloving to others. The result is we stay in our comfort zone. We stay in that space where we feel protected, but we're losing out on life because God has called us to love, to be a beautiful bride. Do you want to be a beautiful bride? Ah, so we need to get free from selfishness, self-focus, protecting self, and fear, fear, fear of others, fear of stepping out of our comfort zone. That's what God wants to do. So, okay, so I want to share a little bit about this, how to become a beautiful bride, and uh, I want to read the, this verse, James 3, verse 16 to 17, just want to pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word that is alive. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit that is here. The Spirit of truth minister to our hearts, Lord. Lord, help us to see so that we may be set free. In the name of Jesus, Lord, lead us out of a place of fear into a place of boldness and confidence in you. Lord, let your love, let your love manifest here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so let's just look quickly at a, at a few. It's a bit of the problem area, and we'll get into the solution in a moment. James 3, verse 16 to 17, it speaks about the, the impact of selfishness. It says, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Wow. Every evil thing, oh, it's there. Okay, so can I give you a quick tip? If you want to destroy your life, one quick step. Be selfish. Okay, all the suicidal people. If you want to destroy your life, be selfish. Because it says basically that all hell will break loose around you. Isn't that interesting? 
where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. All hell breaks loose when we put self first. My deal. It's, it's a trip, uh, that, that trap, the trap that, you know, where we can f- fall into like self-pity. When we find ourselves in a place of self-pity, it, can always, it always leads us into a pit. So you're going through a crisis, you're going through a bad time, and you ask, why me, Lord? Why me? And, it, and, it, and it find, we can, it's like a trap that can cause us to fall into this pit of self-pity. We do tend to, we tend to feel sorry for ourselves, and we tend then to fall into this pit and ask the question, why me? So there's a guy called Nabil Qureshi, Pakistani-American Christian. He was a Muslim. I appreciate sh- shared the story, but I just so, sp- I just so reminded of it. So I was reading this book um, that, he, that he was sharing about seeking Allah, finding Jesus. Wonderful book. Please read it. Incredible. And so he was seeking Christ for years, but he was a, a very committed uh, Muslim in America, uh, like an evangelist as well, would try and convert others, and his parents were. And so, so he was on this journey, and then he, he started to, 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 you know, made a few Christians, and these Christians engaged with him, and he started to ask questions about the Christian faith, and then he started to read, and then he actually started to evaluate, and over time, his defenses were broken down, the walls were on his heart, but they were very close-knit family, he and his parents, and I think his brother as well. And uh, so over, after a few years, he committed his life to Christ, and uh, his family rejected him. So they were extremely close-knit family. So he, he, he basically lost everything. He lost everything. And so he found himself in this pit. He found himself in this self-pity place, and he was on his knees before God one night, and he was just crying out, God, Why? 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 And then he said he heard the audible voice of God responding and saying, because it's not about you. Yeah. I just, and it rocked him. And he got up, he got up out of that pit, out of that self-focus. He walked out into the, into the streets and he started to focus on those who do not know Jesus. He got over himself and he went out and started to love others. And, and God is using him so powerfully all across the world now to touch thousands upon thousands of lives. He got over himself. And this is our test. This is our challenge. Every one of us will, will have those moments where we find ourselves in that pit of despair, in that self-pity. Poor me. Why me? I promise you there are other believers with a deal a hundred times worse than yours. And they chose to get up. And they chose to focus on God and not on themselves. So yes, God loves you. Jesus died for you. He gave his everything for you. But when it comes to you and me, it's not about me. It's about the glory of God. It's not about my deal first. It is about his glory. I need to get over myself and focus on who God is. You see, but as the scripture says, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion, every evil thing, it's there. That self-seeking, it's a trap of the enemy. He just wants you to look away from Jesus. You see, when, 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 when you get a revelation of who God is, 
And when you get a revelation of who you are in Christ, you're in a good space. You're free. But now the enemy comes and he tries to get you to look away from God. He tries to wound you in your heart. And he uses envy as well. He's like, but, but why, did that, why does he ha have that? Why don't I have that? Why does that man have a, why do, why do they have a nice house or a nice car? Or why does he have a, she have a boyfriend and I don't? And why are they married and I'm not? Or why, or, or, or why, does they, why, why do they have this great job and I don't? Envy, envy. Envy is to look at someone else's blessing and you're missing the blessing of God right in front of you. Because it's right in front of you. He said, I will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. I will prepare a feast for you. He loves you. You're a child of the king if you've committed your life to Jesus. And the king has set a table for you. But, but you know, when you're looking at what other people have and you don't see that as a blessing to inspire you, but it's a curse to you, then you are missing what is right in front of you. You're missing the feast. You're missing the moment. You're missing another day that you are alive. You're mi missing another opportunity to love somebody. You're missing another opportunity to worship God. You're missing another day of your life is going by because you're looking at someone else's deal or you're looking at yourself. Me, 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 and why me, Jesus? Why not? Why? Why? Because it's not about you. And if we get over ourselves and our eyes will open up to see what God has placed right in front of us. There are scores of people waiting for you to love them with the love of Jesus. But as long as we are me-focused, self-focused, you're going to miss it. And you're going to miss God. Can I say it again? Get over yourself. <laughs> Amen. That's a good word. I'm getting over you. But the wisdom... That is from above, it's pure, it's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Don't look at what someone else has and be envious. If you look at what someone else have, then get excited. Woohoo! If God can do that for you, God can do that for me. Praise God. Completely different focus. Completely different focus. But it's not about us. There's a quote by a guy called Thomas Kempis. He says, wherever a man is seeking his own, then love is no longer at work. Wherever a man is seeking his own, then love is no longer at work. Let's break out of that cycle. Let's break out of that cycle. Let's, let's deal with the wounds in our hearts or the disappointments in our lives so that God can work powerfully through us. The enemy's scheme is to wound you so that you may wound others simply by being unloving, simply by being selfish. You are being unloving. Amen. Doesn't make sense. So uh, look at this scripture, 1 John 2 verse 10 to 11. I want us to take a test. A quick test. Are you still on track? If you are a Christian this morning 
and you love Jesus, let me test. I want to take you through a test to determine if you really are still on track walking in the light or are you in the dark? Walking in the light or are you walking in the dark? Look at this. 1 John 2, verse 10 to 11. He says, he who loves his brother abides in the light. Yes, it's as easy as that. If we love our brother or our sister, we abide in the light. And unfortunately, you can't choose which ones those are. You can't say, well, I like those eight, but those two freak me out. It's those two that's the test. And there's no cause for stumbling in him. In other words, when we abide in love, when we, ha we have a sense of the love of God in our hearts for people and the body of Christ, the people in the church, then there's no cause for stumbling in us. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So this is a test of love. Now you say, well, I don't hate anybody. But I would just, the word hate is simply a lack of love. No love. Neutral. Good example would be someone like Absalom. He hated his brother, but he didn't speak any negative words about him. For about two years, Absalom he was angry with his brother for raping his sister. Yeah, this is in the Bible. I know it's hectic stuff. But, so Absalom was angry with his brother, but it says actually he didn't speak anything good nor bad. He was just sort of neutral until two years later, then he killed him. So the manifestation of hatred, not good, not bad, sort of just in the middle there. So it says there, he who hates his brother walks in darkness. So if the overwhelming feeling in our hearts towards another brother or sister in Christ isn't love, then the darkness has already overwhelmed us. If the overwhelming feeling in our hearts for another brother or sister or leader or spouse, or ex-girlfriend that was unfaithful, boyfriend that hurt us, church leader that wounded us, disappointed us. If the overwhelming feeling in our hearts isn't love, then the darkness is already overwhelming us. That's what the Scripture says. And we become blind. See, the test of if we are in the light is the test of love. So it's so amazing to me that as Christians we can get so excited about doctrine. Oh, my doctrine is right. My doctrine is right, but we love badly and we miss everything. But I think sometimes our doctrine could be less than perfect, but we actually love somebody. I think God is more pleased with that. What do you think? Because God wants us to love people. So the test, and so we need to evaluate. Evaluate your heart, because God wants to restore you. A family member that you, not so lack of feeling there, family. Or that one person in your small group just really gets you worked up. I'm wanting, the, I'm wanting to shine some light on our hearts. Because the question is, do you want to be free? The question is, do you want to walk in the light? 
The question is, do you want to be part of a beautiful bride that loves well? Because that is the mission. That is the challenge. Can we love well? And then the Lord puts those specific people in our lives, that one person in the small group, that one person, that one, this one in the family. Every family has them. Every family has them. Say, thank you, Jesus. That one that just gets you working. That one person is your ticket to glory. A while ago, I was, I was preaching about I was a ticket to glory, and then I told something, this one person is really challenging. No one in this church, you're all safe. <laughs> this one person. And then Sonica said to me, well, he's your ticket to glory. Oh, yes, you're right, you are. Ticket to glory, my opportunity. Instead of not knowing how to handle this, approach with love. That's their approach. Attack with love. <laughs> Attack with mercy. Attack with the goodness of God. You know, I think sometimes we get love wrong as idea, but love, loving someone doesn't mean you have no boundaries. Loving someone doesn't mean you allow them to walk over you. Love doesn't mean I'm not going to tell you, well, you've got some stuff to deal with. Real love is I'm going to tell you there's some stuff we need to work on. So don't get a wrong, askew idea about love. Love does not mean you are now the servant of people. No, you're the servant of Christ. And because you're the servant of Christ, you serve people. But it's not like we become people-centered. No, we're Christ-centered. We're not self-centered, but we're also not people-centered. They are not my God. People are not our gods. Jesus is God. He is my center. He is the one that I follow. And because I love him, I'm going to love and serve people. So make sure you, you position yourself correctly. Because sometimes we become people pleasers. And we call that love. That's not love. That's not love. That, that, you're not a powerful person when you're a people pleaser. Some of us, I feel this is a word for some of us. You need to break out of that. Make Jesus... Lord, fear God, not man, in a good way. But sometimes we need to put boundaries down and say, no, no, you can't do that. This is not, this is not how it's going to Love communicates clearly and lays down boundaries. Amen. Amen. So it says there, he who loves his brother abides in the light. How do you learn to love? Approach the difficult individuals in your life and love them. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Give them mercy, but also give them honesty. Hey, when you did this, this hurt. This is really tough. I want to I restore our relationship. You see, what happens is there's, a, there's this gap between you and this other person. And, and, and when we get wounded, we build up a wall and that gap becomes bigger. And when we move further into that dark place, we become even more selfish and life revolves around us. But you need to close that gap. Close the gap. Let's say it. Close the gap. So you need to approach. You need to approach that person. You say, hey, let's talk. Sometimes you can't talk. Sometimes you must just love. But you must still have boundaries. Don't allow abuse in the name of love. Amen. Ladies, a husband that beats you and you allow that, that's not love. 
you walk, you lay down rules, you lay down boundaries, you say we get help or I'm out. You know, love is not to be a doormat. Love, love is to do like Jesus did, and Jesus was no doormat. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. So let's break out of darkness. This is when we're in the place of love. And so that's, that's how you need to evaluate yourself. Am I selfish? Am I fearful? Am I just looking after my own deal? Am I in a place where I'm not loving a person or people? Because then you, 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 you're approaching, you're moving into a place of darkness. So look at this verse, so powerful. John 13, 34. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is Jesus speaking. It's so powerful. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then he qualifies it as I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love? It was a sacrificial love. It was at the expense of himself. That you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, everybody will know that you are my disciples by your wonderful doctrine. By your wonderful meetings. No. Is it everyone will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And you see, love is tested when the other person fails, when the other person messes up, when the other person is a screw-up, whatever it might be, in people's eyes or, or whatever. That is the test. It's easy to love someone that is doing wonderful and they're loving back to you. The test is for those who have failed standards, certain standards, or who are not loving you back. That is the test. So how did Jesus love? How did Jesus love? I, I love this. There's one account. I just want to share this. And I'm going to end off. This, there was this situation where Jesus was uh, being hosted by some Pharisees. And uh, I think it's Luke chapter 6. And the one Pharisee, his name was Simon. And then while they were eating... This lady came in. She was a sinner, probably a prostitute. She came with her alabaster flask of oil, a year's worth of wages. A year's worth of wages. Imagine taking a year's worth of money and just wasting it on someone's feet, as she did. Because she poured out this oil on the feet of Jesus, and she wiped his feet with her hair. And Jesus just received it. And all the Pharisees were standing there like, if this guy was a real prophet, he would know what sinful woman is touching his feet. So I'm, I'm wondering, I'm asking a few questions. Question number one, what caused this woman to be moved to do this? What, what could have happened that a prostitute would have, humiliate herself in such a way in front of the religious leaders and extravagantly pour out her money and herself upon the feet of a man. I, I, I'm just wondering, what could have happened? Could it be that Jesus met her on the streets at some point 
And then she couldn't look him in the eye. She couldn't, she was just like, you know, can't, can't look at this man. And he, maybe he touched her and lifted her head and said, look, look at me. Could it be that, that Jesus looked at her in a way that no man has ever looked at her? That he loved her, not despised her. Because that's what the religious crowd, that's what the Christians did. They despised. And yet this man, this holy man, this miracle working man, the prophet, looks at her and loves her and values her as a human being. She's a prostitute for goodness sake. And the most holy being on the planet looks at the prostitute and loves her. Passionately. I can only imagine what that must have done to her. Having holiness itself look at her and looking and loving her. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced that place where you stare into your own flesh, your sinful nature, and you, everything within you wants to hate yourself, despise yourself? Have you? Have you? Because I have in my past. I have. I've looked into my sinful nature and I hated myself. Call yourself a Christian. And in the midst of that, I experience the love of Father God saying, It's all good. You're my son. I believe in you. You're better than this. Have you? Have you come to that place where you come to the end of yourself, where you realize, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve the love of God. But somehow he saved me. Have you? Have you come to that point where you've looked into your own sinful nature and you realize you can't beat this thing? You can't break this thing without help from heaven. Have you? Because you need to. If you've not come to that point, you won't love well. Because you won't have mercy for others. This is the challenge. I fear for the man who has not come to this point. Because he will not have mercy for others. And that's why I give mercy to people no matter what they have gone through. Because I know I need mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That is a beautiful bride. That is a people-loving people. But somehow, the trick, the trap of religiosity is to get up onto a pedestal and to point the finger at others. So this woman is now washing the feet of Jesus with her tears and with a year's worth of wages. And then Jesus looks at Simon the Pharisee and he asks him a question. And he says, Simon, do you see this woman? That is so profound. You see, because religion blinds us to seeing people. Religion calls us to see rules and not the love of God for people. And Jesus says, do you see this woman, Simon? Because, and then Jesus tells a story, a parable, and then he comes down to, for he who has been forgiven much loves much. 
But the Pharisee doesn't realize how much he needs to be forgiven of. So he doesn't love much. He's on his pedestal. I've worked myself into this. I fast so much. I give so much. I do all these things. This is, I, I have earned this. That's, that's the religious way of looking compared to the prostitute that knows it's mercy. Simon, do you see this woman? Religion blinds us. Love will always cause us to see people. So my question to you, do you see? Do I see? Do we see the, 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 the cleaner uh, at the gym? The till lady at the shop? The street sweeper somewhere? The poor municipal servant that <laughs> freaks everybody out? Do we, do we see that or we like, do we see the, do we see the, um, the waitress and the, yes, the food was cold and she was late and it was long and it wa- but do you see her? Do you see what she's going through or are you so focused on your food that is cold that you rip her to shreds and you look, you pathetic people, pathetic place, missing the point. It's about loving someone. Just throwing out a few rocks. I'm hoping I'm hitting someone. (laughs) Hitting myself. Because religion is a merciless and loveless affair. Christianity gives mercy, gives love. I need mercy. I need mercy. You need mercy. Let's do that. Let's give mercy. Let's give mercy. But the only way we can give mercy is if we allow God to heal our hearts from, from fear and from insecurities. I think one of the biggest reasons Christians sometimes come across unloving is because of fear. We are afraid of sin, and we are afraid of what the implications are, and we are afraid of what the people are going to think if we treat this sinner in a nice way. What are the other churches going to say? What are other people going to say? You know, we allow these type of people in our church. And then Jesus goes and he eats and he drinks with the sinners and he's called a whole bunch of names. Because he was about people that are like, let's freak out the religious crowd. On purpose. Maybe, I don't know. But all will know. All, by this, all will know that you are my disciples If you have love for one another, may we be known for our love. May we be known for how we treat people with dignity. May we be known for being merciful. May we be known but for this. We might just miss the heart of God. I just want to read this verse and ending off. 1 John 4, 18. It says, there's no fear in love. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But the fear, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. This is my prayer for us. Let his love, let the love of the Father touch our hearts. And heal us. Heal us of our dead religion perspectives. 
Let his love remove the fear from our hearts. To love someone that doesn't look like you. You might be white, they black. You might be young, they are older. Whatever it might be, whatever that you might be wealthy, they might be poor. You might be poor, they might be wealthy. Fear builds a wall. Love breaks it down. This is my heart. I believe God has called us to be a multicultural church, multi-generational, rich and poor, black and white and colored, Indian and anything else, young and old, from in the womb to 95, because that feels to me like a Jesus church where people choose to love people no matter what they look like, no matter what box they might be in. Good people, not so good people, because they are no good people. They're only sinners saved by grace. Amen. And it begins with you. You make the bride of Christ beautiful. I make the bride of Christ beautiful. So how about this week? Step out of your comfort zone. Approach someone that is different than you and choose to love them. How about this? A word for some of us here. If you have family issues, family problems, relationally, here's the challenge. Go and reconcile. Life is short. We don't know when death comes. We don't know when it's game over. It might be too late tomorrow. Do it today. Reconcile today. Maybe you've got a friend and you, you, you're not finding one. Go and talk. Fight for that relationship. Humble yourself. Apologize where you can. Apologize for what you can. Apologize for. Be, de be, be decent. Be, be godly. Be honoring. But say, hey, let's, let's find one another. From your side, at least make right. If they don't want to, that's their issue in the end. But from your side, make right. It is the Christ-like thing to do. Amen.